Some listeners may find details of this edition of the Florida Files disturbing and explicit. That little road up there, on the side of that little road, she was like partially concealed by the vegetation. And I left her there. Talks about in the interactions he has with the victims. Sometimes he'll talk about one and tell the story of how they spent time together and will say, you know, I loved her. She was beautiful and I loved her so much and all of this, but then his stories always end with, and then I killed her. I had been working the story of serial killer Samuel Little before COVID-19 hit, how he literally got away with murder for years, and how he started his deadly prolific spree in Miami in 1970. I had even gone and retraced his steps by a pair of arches there near the Everglades where Little told law enforcement he had dumped at least one body. But then, more pressing news came calling in March 2020 with the pandemic. I took a break from Little and covered the news of what was top of mind for everyone, COVID-19. Little remained in prison. It was nine months after the COVID lockdown that I heard the man who in 2019 was bestowed the distinction of becoming the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history had died. December 30th, 2020, 4.53 a.m. Reported in a news release, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation today is announcing the death of inmate Samuel Little. He was 80. No manner of death was released, but it wasn't foul play. Now, he had heart problems, diabetes, and other ailments. A report from Los Angeles' ABC station, KTLA. All right, we have some breaking news. The man the FBI calls America's most prolific serial killer has died. The California Department of Corrections announced the death of 80-year-old Samuel Little at an outside hospital in L.A. County. The coroner hasn't yet determined the cause of death. Little was serving three life sentences without parole for the deaths of three women in the late 1980s in Los Angeles County. Federal officials say that he confessed to more than 93 murders across the country. and Local10.com present the Florida Files. I'm Michelle Solomon, and this is Murderer in Miami, how Samuel Little became part of the Florida Files. With nearly 60 victims confirmed of the 93 women he confessed to murdering, Little would surpass the man who had held the title of most prolific serial killer since 2001. That guy was Gary Leon Ridgway, the Green River Killer, who claimed he raped and strangled to death as many as 80 women. He pled guilty to 48 counts of first-degree murder, and he's serving life in prison in Colorado. Besides killing only women and many at that, Ridgway and Little had something else in common. They both strangled their victims. What links Little to the Florida Files besides the fact that he admitted to leaving multiple victims behind here? Samuel Little started his four-decade killing spree in Florida and in Miami, and Little's ties to the area run very deep. A man who may be the worst serial killer in U.S. history, Samuel Little, is already behind bars for murder, and now he says he killed around 90 people since the 1970s. The FBI is asking the public for help and information. By the time Little died, investigators throughout the United States had verified at least 60 of his confessions. 
They believe they will be able to corroborate all of his stories to identify all 93. They may not be able to identify the victims by name, but cases that have been a mystery for years will finally be solved. A report from ABC News. Little eluded police for decades. It wasn't until he was arrested in 2012 on a narcotics charge that police began to connect the dots. His DNA linking him to three unsolved homicide victims from the 80s. A Texas Ranger paid him a visit in prison and Little started talking. James Holland get him to uh, detail these horrible crimes that he committed. Little allegedly detailing how he picked up vulnerable women, often involved in drugs or prostitution, and then strangled them often in the backseat of his car. In many cases, their deaths were either not investigated or it occurred before DNA profiling was readily available. His confessions stirring up cold cases across the country, with many families still seeking closure. At least a dozen of his victims were killed across Florida, all women, two transgender victims included, and all strangled. He admits to drowning only one of his victims. And when I come in, the girl that I was with offered to dance with me. And while we were dancing, she says, uh, you, want, you want to go riding after this, you know, after this party's over? We walked outside and she looked and seen my car at Lincoln. She said, ooh, you know, that's a beautiful car too. So she had arm in arm, walking to the car, we cut off, I took off the exit, went, and that sure enough was the road leading into the woods. <laughs> and we went in and parked. So we finally got to where we were going and it was by, uh, by a river, a little water thing. And, Big, uh, they had a machine out there in that little river. Dredging. Dredging. Okay. I grabbed it by the legs and pulled it to the water. Mm -hmm. That's the only one that I ever killed by drowning. David Denmark, a Miami-Dade cold case detective in Miami-Dade Police Department's Homicide Bureau, has been trying to match the killer's detailed descriptions of his victims to cold case files from 40 years ago. I meet with him at headquarters, where he recalls his face-to-face -face interview. Can you just tell me your name and um, what you do and the involvement that you have in the Samuel Little case? David Denmark, I'm with Miami-Dade Police Department cold case and uh, interviewed myself and my partner, Lester Aguilar, interviewed Samuel Little. But James Holland told you when you were going there that there were certain things or certain ways that he had studied in some ways Samuel Little, that he knew how you could get, you know, some information from him. Um, he briefed us prior to us talking to Samuel Little um, because there were some things that if we would have said it may have shut Samuel Little down. And those are, um, for instance, don't ask why he killed somebody um, because he may shut down on you. Um, have him describe what he's done and if he comes on a tangent and a story and even diverts to another uh, story to let him go. There was also some actions that James told us about that he might do like uh, rubbing his neck with the back of his nails up to his chin and he says when he starts doing that he's he's in the moment he's there he's picturing what happened and he's 
telling you. So don't interject with another question. Let him just rant until he asks you, you know, what do you want to know now? Um, so that was very important, uh, important for us to learn because uh, we didn't want to shut him down, us coming from Miami all the way to Texas and having this opportunity to close out cold cases was golden to us and we didn't want to uh, wreck that in any way. So when we walked in there, it was on eggshells, but immediately established a rapport with him because he knew prior to us coming up there that we had pictures of his victims. And when James told him, these guys from Miami are coming and they have pictures of the girls or the women, his quote was, they have pictures of my babies. What did you think when he said, oh, oh they have pictures of my babies? I, it was, uh, uh, again, hard to say because I'm now looking for closures uh, for these families. So I was happy. Even though he's describing death and, and women, it made me happy because as soon as you get an excitement out of somebody that's killed, you're on the right path because they want to tell you something. So right then it made us feel like it was his sense of pride of what he's done. So we knew we had a really good chance of getting some things out of it. His trail of murder started in Miami, where local law enforcement says Little left five victims, and those are the ones that they know of. They have positively identified two of the women and are still putting the pieces together for others. He targeted uh, either mentally challenged females, uh, uh, drug or alcoholic addiction females, um, naive, and usually from the same areas, um, by the Turf Motel, and uh, areas like that, uh, and he was he focused on on their necks because he told us he believed that's the way a woman is supposed to be killed is by drowning or by strangulation. Um, one of the advantages we had with that information is that James told us that he would become offended if we mentioned stabbings or shootings. So if we asked, did you shoot anybody, he would become offended because he believed that was the wrong way to kill someone. You kill them by your hands on their neck. You know, she's fighting for her life, and I'm fighting for my pleasure. Just tell me what you do and what your involvement in this case was. All right. Uh, I'm Christy Palazzolo. I'm a crime analyst with the FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, or VICAP. Do people, do serial killers usually have like a typical, not typical, because nothing's typical, but like an MO where this particular gentleman is, should I shouldn't call him gentleman, let me go back on that. This particular, <laughs> um, <laughs> this particular person um, had targeted women that maybe would go unnoticed? Is that? He was very calculated in the type of victim that he targeted that's for sure he has told us that and digging through his cases it's very evident that he was very conscientious about who he was targeting and he was doing so in an effort obviously to not get caught Samuel Little, whose real name was Samuel McDowell, was a charmer back then. A good-looking, self-proclaimed former boxer, he says he had a way with the women. Investigators say he mixed up some details about his victims, but he acutely remembered the cars he was driving. That was in 93. Okay. I bought a uh, 
El Dorado. What color El Dorado? It was a yellow. Okay. Oh, yellow Cadillac El Dorado. Yep. All right. What year? 78. Okay. Well, tell me about this girl. What does she look like? She was kind of thin, dark skinned, about 40 years old when she was out there hustling. I think she was a drug addict because she wouldn't have been out there. After selecting his prey, and he would prey on women he believed wouldn't be missed, like prostitutes, drug addicts, and the homeless, he would befriend them, and then eventually they would meet their demise. He would strangle them. He told cops that the act of strangling gave him sexual pleasure. He left the women for dead in Florida, in the Everglades, in canals, in backwoods, and among overgrown brush, and across the country, some were even found in dumpsters. From my talking and thinking and knowing the geographic of this area, I think Florida was a pretty ripe place for him because he yeah. got rid of a lot of his victims in the Everglades and, um, and in a time when there wasn't a lot going on out there and wasn't built up. And he anything. also knew it well. He lived in Florida for a period of time. He lived there with his mother before she died. So he was familiar with Miami, with the back streets, um, with access roads um, and not only in terms of where to dump the bodies once he had killed them, but also where to pick up the more vulnerable victims, the runaways, the prostitutes, the drug users, things like that that he would target. Um, he knew where to find them and then he knew where to take them. That, um, as, as we're finding, it, it may be the case that even 40 years later, their bodies still have never been found. One body that has never been found is that of Marianne. It was 1971 or 72 that he says he met Marianne in Miami at a bar known as The Pool, or was it called The Pool Palace, near 17th Avenue. He then tells Texas Ranger James Holland that they met again in Overtown at a bar in that Miami neighborhood, and that he offered to give Marianne a ride home. Tell me about Mary Ann. She's what you nowadays they call a transgender. She's a black male dressed up as a female. Okay. How tall is, is she? Mary Ann's about five, seven, seven, five, six. She weighed about 135. Okay. One, maybe 140. And how old do you think she was? But she was 19. Okay. And where was she from? No, I'm Miami, down in Liberty City. Okay. And did she, um, you mentioned before she had a boyfriend, or she talked about a boyfriend? Name Wes. Wes? Yeah, yeah. And tell me about where you met her at. I seen her down at the Guar on 17th Avenue, and she had only short cream miniskirt. Little says that Marianne lived with some roommates in Brownsville, or Liberty City, and when he ended up driving her home, one of the people at the house asked them to go and buy them a can of shaving cream. So, he says, they got back in the car. Then this opportunity popped up mm -hmm. to take her to the store. Right. Instead of me bringing her back to the apartment, I went down to the seat. That's going down to uh, Fort Lauderdale, mm -hmm. called the Alligator Alley. It, it turns into 
it runs in the Alligator Alley. Right. But the further out you get, the further you get out of Miami. Right. And you, you got vegetation. Now, how far outside of Miami? About. It wasn't too far out of Miami, right okay. there. I was in my stepdad's car, Pontiac Levans. In his confession, Little says he dragged Marianne's body about 200 yards into the thick, muddy water. But despite his confession, Marianne remains a mystery. Detective Denmark talks about trying to identify Marianne. Well, he talks about a woman that he identifies as transgender. Yes. That he picked up. But we don't know who Marianne is at this point. No, we do not. Um, the description of Marianne is that of a black male transgender, probably 5'7", 135 to 140 pounds. Um, and his description of where he buried her um, was somewhere by a sugarcane field. Um, and that uh, could be as far as deep uh, Fort Lauderdale or into Palm Beach County. So we wouldn't really have... Uh, any information but he on says that. it was the Everglades doesn't he, he says it was he correct says it was. correct uh, he does say Everglades but then he again mentions the the sugarcane field he also describes where he picked her up and where he met her which is all in the city of Miami so Marianne alone could be crossing three different counties possibly four from city of Miami to Miami-Dade to Fort Lauderdale to uh, uh, Palm Beach we don't have any physical evidence of Marianne uh, we don't have any file that would fit uh, that description, uh, transgender, uh, black male, 5'7", we don't, we don't have anything that we, we can match. Um, um, so we have no idea if you know, her body is even able to be recovered and, and where it would be recovered. Um, again, the city of Miami, uh, along with us, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, it could be any one of those stretches of where she was buried. So Marianne is just a mystery. It is. It, uh, it's us. It's a mystery to our department, um, and, it, and again, it stems from his testimony uh, of, of what he did to these women. Um, I believe him, that there is a Marianne, uh, definitely believe him. Angela Williams, a Justice Department senior policy advisor and BICAP liaison, is working with the FBI in the little cold cases. She says the serial killer was wrong about his victims. And every, he always said he focused on those who would be less missed. And I liked, Christy and I like to tell people how wrong he was because every case we've been able to match, somebody cared so much and you see the families and 
that's what it's about. And he was so wrong about these victims. In 2018, both Palazzo and Williams went to a Texas prison to meet Little, and they happened upon something that would help cold case investigators put together some of the puzzle pieces. His artwork that he would draw, he has a he has a talent for drawing, and he was drawing, I suppose, from what I understand, celebrities. It was actually when we first went out there to the very first interview that we did with him back in 2018, while Ranger Holland was interviewing him, the guards went back and were searching his cell. And they came back to Angela and I and had photocopied all of these drawings that he had done of, like you said, famous people, uh, celebrities, singers, I think a couple of presidents in there. Um, but we saw those drawings and we realized that, you know, he's, he's not bad and I could draw you a stick figure. He actually has faces with unique individual traits to them, recognizable faces. He talked about the idea of potentially setting him up with an art studio and kind of making, uh, setting him up with an art studio and then having him draw his victims. And so we've been putting those drawings out in the media in the hopes that somebody will recognize them to, again, just get those tips rolling in to help us close these cases and identify these victims. When you draw something out of memory, you usually hit the key points. The comparison of his drawing in 2017 compared to a 1970s photo, that's where your, your heart just sinks and says, this is the same girl. Denmark hopes that maybe, just maybe, someone listening might have a clue, something that might help him identify the victims and give closure to open cases of the lost women. Do you think there's anybody that, that'd be listening to the Florida Files that would be able to assist in any way? Yes, um, anyone that listens that has a history of Miami would be able to help out, um, especially old Miami, because they would be familiar with the Everglades and where roads used to stop compared now, which you would think was never the way it looked back in the 70s, because it's all cement and houses and, and shopping centers. asking for your help identifying Little's other local murder victim. He floated around and killed, killed girls. I mean, it takes a long time to kill 93 people. I mean, this is not like a weekend trip. He's doing it all the time. That's Hamilton County Prosecutor Joseph T. Dieters in Cincinnati in an interview with ABC WCPO, where Samuel Little confessed to two murders. Where he says he had the most kills, though, was Florida and California, his first stop and his last. Police and the FBI now know that Little's first kill was a woman named Mary Brosley, and it was in 1970, and that it was in Miami. Mary Brosley was from Massachusetts. Um, she was a teacher, 
and she had an alcohol problem, an addiction. Uh, she was kind of ousted by the family or not getting along with them, and she moved to Miami, the, uh, the North Miami area, Miami Beach, North Miami Beach area. And Samuel Little gave uh, details to what Mary Brosley was wearing, uh, from her dress to the pattern and color of that dress to a necklace that she was wearing and how he buried her compared to how she was found, uh, which was an exact match. So that was kind of a, a one that we just followed along with what he said and just matched it to written reports back in the 70s. How did he bury her? He buried, uh, it was a partial grave and he left her legs out. Um, when we were talking to him about that, he says, man, I'll never bury a body in Florida again because the ground's too tough, too hard. After Miami, he went to Fort Myers and Tampa Bay. Then the drifter crisscrossed the U.S. He went to Atlanta and Savannah, Knoxville and Memphis, towns in Louisiana and Ohio and Arkansas and Texas, he went to Phoenix, Albuquerque, Las Vegas. Many of his victims' deaths were ruled overdoses or attributed to accidental or undetermined causes, and some of the bodies were never found. Where do you eventually take her, her body to? I was headed toward California. Mm -hmm. So as I drove out of Las Vegas, I, didn't, I seen a motel and a road leading up to the motel. And I said, there's a lot of bushes and brushes us beside the road before you got to that motel. That's where I dropped, pulled the bird out and rolled it down there. It was expected he'd die in prison. He was serving three life sentences in California State Prison in Los Angeles County, convicted of killing three women in California in 1987 and 1989. Through DNA evidence, he was convicted of those murders in 2014. Picked up in a homeless shelter in 2012 in Kentucky, he was taken to Los Angeles, where he would face outstanding drug charges. Los Angeles police nicknamed him the Choke and Stroke Killer because he often masturbated while strangling his victims and got the most pleasure the longer it took them to die. Angela Williams tells me about that aspect of the case. It was his sexual desire was the reason these girls got killed. And somehow he says that the, strangu the strangulation was a sexual turn-on or... Mm-hmm, yeah, it was. That, that was what, and that's, you know, at the beginning, and he talked about uh, having sexual relations with all of them, so I'm thinking there should be DNA everywhere, but his term of sexual relations was the strangulation, because to him that was sexually exciting. In one interview, Little remembers when he became attracted to a woman's throat. Only four or five years old, he says, and he was in school in Lorain, Ohio. He became transfixed by how his teacher was rubbing her neck. He says he realized even then it was, quote unquote, turning him on. Most of the pictures he drew, you have a uh, distinguished neckline, which is eerie because that's what he focused on. Especially if you were wearing 
a necklace or anything around the neck, it attracted him even more. Some of the victims he shows with a necklace, some he doesn't. He described Mary Brosley with a very nice necklace that he played with prior to strangling, uh, strangling her. And that necklace is in our property and we brought a picture to show him and he ID the necklace. He was 30 years old when he started acting out on his fantasies. For years, he repeated the same pattern. He would pick up women, befriend them. Sometimes he would spend days with them, tell them he loved them. Then, eventually, he would beat and strangle them. He said before he began his confessions, he had never told anyone but God about his killings. I got away with numerous murders of women in my life over a span of 50 years. Next on The Florida Files, Join me, Michelle Solomon, as I tell you about a South Florida man who spent 22 years in prison after he was found guilty of first-degree murder of a 17-year-old girl. But 40 years later, Samuel Little ends up confessing to the crime. That's next on The Florida Files. Could there be a clue in one of Samuel Little's drawings? something you might recognize that could provide a lead in helping cold case detectives ID some of the serial killer's lost murder victims. Go to Local10.com's Florida Files section to take a closer look at Samuel Little's drawings. That's the Florida Files on Local10.com.